You're listening to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast. Welcome to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast, fortnightly conversations about running a business as a non-technical founder. I'm Laura. And I'm Nathan. Join us as we navigate the developer-dominated world of entrepreneurship, bootstrapping, and beyond. In today's episode, we're going to be giving our top advice for non-technical founders. We'll also go through a little update about what's going on with us, and we've got a little bit of news at the end as well. So should be a fun one today. Cool. Yeah. First things first, sorry, before we dive into all of that, did you go away and speak somewhere this weekend? I did. Thank did I you see for that on asking. Twi- did I see that on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. So I've actually just got back from WordCamp Europe, um, which was cool. in Athens. Uh, we had, I had an amazing time. I took my <laughs> husband and our two-year-old and we had such a great time. And um, he was on dad duty while I was spending two days at the conference being working mum which was fun and um I spoke uh uh, about onboarding for freelancers and I was super super nervous I always get really nervous when I do any kind of public speaking I haven't done it for years um but something really different happened this time and I was really nervous waiting in the green room thinking god it feels like I'm going to my own hanging (laughs) And I was like walking down thinking it was like the green mile. It's funny that it's called the green room because it does feel like the green mile. Um, And then, but then when I got on stage, all my nerves disappeared. Super strange. Like it was a big room as well, like a big like stadium. There was no podium. There was big screens everywhere. Like it was a proper like stage. And for some reason, I was not nervous when I was on the stage talking to everyone. I didn't have like notes. I didn't have things went wrong in my slides. My Some of my slides didn't load. And I am just still in awe. I'm like, what has changed in my life that I am now this person who can get up on a stage and not be absolutely terrified? And I'm just so happy about that. Like, wow <laughs> i'm sure that i'm sure that comes from just the the natural experience you've gained over the years right and the, um, and where you are and how sure you are of the knowledge as well you know yeah like maybe in the past like oh no i need to practice this or i'm going to forget but like you're so it's so now it's so ingrained in you that it's probably just completely natural yeah i think as well like i've been thinking a lot about obviously when you're raising kids you think a lot about how you're raising them and you know they say you know don't tell them that they are shy or that they are this and they are that because it will become part of their personality and Mm -hmm. they'll think that they are these things and you know it you want to really teach them that they can really be anything they want to be and I think I've always internalized that I am not a public speaker I am very shy I get very nervous I will never ever ever be able to do that and it turns out like that's not necessarily me like everyone gets nervous, but you just have to keep doing it and you can change that and you can change like your identity, I suppose, of being this shy person. You know, it's, so it's th- a So did that skill. mean you came away with the uh, the post, you know, when people write their first book, they're like, oh, I'm going to write another one straight away. Does that mean you're going to be jumping on the, uh, the, the speaking bandwagon again and on tour? And I don't know. Like I, I feel like I could. I, it's difficult because I, it's a lot of work. Like it's so much work and I can't say for a fact 
looked at this point whether it would be worth it for me to do this right like I think if I had a book and I was doing a book tour doing lots of public speaking for that like that makes a lot of sense um for the amount of work it would be and actually a lot of the time so for WordCamp they don't pay the speakers or actually contribute to like accommodation oh, wow, okay. or anything yeah so WordCamp is huge though right it's, like, it's a big is huge one. but it's very it's a voluntary event so even the organizers okay. don't get paid like it's all voluntary and I think in my experience like I have rarely got paid for conferences and if I have it hasn't really been enough to necessarily justify the cost so I don't know I'm probably not gonna go doing like loads and loads of speaking tours if I get asked I'll probably say yes just because I generally do and mm -hmm. I think I will probably do more word camp type things because one thing I've realized recently is I have a WordPress plugin but I'm not in the WordPress community at all and I'm feeling a bit disheartened because a lot of the people I talk to are either in SaaS or they're creators and the things that they're doing I'm sort of trying to do for client portal and it's they're not it's just different it's running a WordPress business plugin business I'm learning increasingly that it is different they have different challenges different benefits and I really want to be around more people who are in the WordPress space so I can learn from them. Like I learned so much from just talking. I went round and I spoke to all the booths who were sponsoring and just tried to like find out about what they were doing, what's worked for them. I got such great advice um, and I've come back feeling like I know now what I need to be doing um, in a way that I haven't for a while. So I think I'll probably go to more WordPress related events in the coming mm -hmm. years, months, years or whatever. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do like a ton of speaking, but what's cool is that if I ever get asked, I, I know that I can do it now. And that's really uh, freeing, which is lovely. Well, and now you have the stamp of approval, right? Of the uh, one of the biggest uh, WordPress uh, conferences, right? Yeah, exactly. To say you've spoken at a WordCamp and, you know, like a the... I think people were saying the EU one is actually bigger than the US one as well. So oh, right. okay, it's like cool. the biggest WordCamp as well. I think there was like 3,000 people there. But um, that was, it was literally just this weekend, right? Yes, it was. Well, yeah, it was Friday and Saturday. So now today okay. is Monday. So yeah. So you, haven't, so you don't have any data yet on whether the like, traffic spikes or all that kind of good stuff? No, not no. really. And you're not meant to be like, I can't really be super pitchy or anything on stage for obvious yeah, yeah, reasons. Yeah. Like no one wants to listen to a pitch. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I was going more for making connections with other WordPress plugin owners um, than anything else. And what's really cool, I don't know if I said this the last time when I mentioned I was speaking at WordCamp, but um, you know, the de my developer who's worked on Client Portal since 2016 mm. from the start, well, when I announced I was speaking, she messaged me saying, oh, I'm going to be at that WordCamp as well. So, and uh, she lives in Taiwan. Like, that's not like, it's not like she's in that city or anything like that. So we just happened to be, be there at the same time. We went out for dinner. It was absolutely lovely. Uh, we got to chat and I've just like, wow, that had you, was Had you met before? Work. Had you ever met in person? Funnily enough, right, this is super strange. We have. Um, she uh, used to work for a company who was, when I lived in America, I lived in Norfolk, Virginia, and she worked for a company who was based in Norfolk, Virginia. And they did a okay. retreat where she went to visit Norfolk, Virginia when I was living. I just think like, wow, what are the chances of twice now we've just happened to be in the same country at this, on the same dates? Um, 
yeah, it's very strange. Isn't that, but... ser- isn't that what they say, serendipity? Because isn't that, isn't that basically what just happened with your new executive assistant as well? Weren't they like all those huge coincidences? Same yeah. city, same university, same... Yeah, like all these, all this stuff is like happening and it's all just <laughs> really strange. It's so hard not to like think, what is going on? I'm sure it's just coincidence, you know? But like, wow, yeah, lots of bizarre Two things very are big happening. coincidences, yeah. Yeah, lots of big coincidences happening. So, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited right now. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm just very proud that I managed to actually do it. So, yeah. Very cool. Do you have an idea? Is it if the majority of the people there were attending were founders in one way or another of WordPress products, or were they sort of developers, or sort of a mix, or? I think I would say most people I met were developers working at a com- like a WordPress company, you know, like working on WordPress plugins. And there were a bunch of founders as well. Um, and there were freelancers because obviously my talk was targeting freelancers. So I'm presuming, oh, my camera's falling down. <laughs> I'm presuming everyone in my in the room who did the talk with me was a freelancer. So, but they would do like freelance website design kind of thing uh, in WordPress. Um, But yeah, kind of a mix. I would say most, I think, were developers working at a WordPress company, you know, like Gravity Forms or something like that. Um, Yeah, because what you were saying just now about it being a different business, perhaps different environment, um, you know, between SaaS and and product and and WordPress plugins. Because again, I, I don't typically think of if if I think of WordPress, I don't think of founders. You know, I don't I don't make that connection because for me, WordPress is a platform that we've all used at some point or another to build a website, or you know, we've all hated on, we've all loved, whatever. I don't typically think I associate it with like, oh, of course, there are founders, people building things for for word for WordPress, you know, and plugins like yourself. A lot of people that it starts as like a side project, so they'd, you know, mostly developers. I don't think I've met one founder who was non technical like me in WordPress because most are developers who create yeah. a plugin as a side project, then they sell it, uh, you know, to other people who need the same solution and then they might end up running their own WordPress plugin business. But I've kind of learned that, yeah, WordPress plugins are big, big business. Actually, I thought client portal did really well, but I was one of the small ones <laughs> by right, okay. definitely. So, um, and, and it is a massive disadvantage, I think being a non-tech founder in the WordPress plugin space because there's just a lot I don't understand and I, I struggle to get my head around and I feel like I'm missing out on some really important knowledge. But I'm hoping that by becoming bigger in the WordPress space, I'll learn a lot of this. But I do, I definitely felt like the odd one out um, in oh, terms okay. of being That's a non-tech founder. Yeah. Well, maybe that would be a good place to segue into the main topic then of today. Yeah. Uh, sort of the, top yeah. tips. Top tips. So we were thinking like, let's... What would we, I've been thinking about this a lot because um, one of the talks I was thinking about doing at a WordCamp would be being a non-tech founder as a non-tech WordPress plugin founder, right? And I was like, what what would I say? And it's really difficult because really the advice is you have to hire a developer. Find a developer, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like you have to. So what, you know, what more is there to say? And I was like, well, there must be more to it than that, right? So what... I don't know if you've thought about this, but what advice would I give if I could give one piece of advice to non-technical founders who want to build things like WordPress plugins or a builder solution? And I would say, after thinking about it, it would be to 
build an, go down the build an audience first route. So a lot of people talk about, should you build an audience first? Should you build a product first? I personally think as a non-tech founder, and this is not really based on anything, so don't take this as like gospel, but I think you almost have to go audience first as a non-tech founder because you're going to need not only investment in order for you to hire a developer, but you are also going to have to, once you have a product, you're going to need a bit of traction from day one because you're also going to need any updates or any bug fixes. You're still going to need to pay a developer to fix. So you can't really build a product and then like pay all this money and then start to try to build an audience and try to get traction. And I think, you know, obviously with you, with Feature Flux, you kind of tried to do it that way, didn't you? And it was really, mm. really hard. So yeah, yeah. I was thinking in my, and I don't know, I'm curious to hear what you think about this because I'm always hesitant to give blanket statements like that because when I don't know for sure whether it's true. But at this point in time, I think I would say you have to have an audience first. What do you well, think? Well, I think there, uh, as with everything, it depends. I think there are two, there's two, there's the, you need an audience, which is time or you need money. You know, it's, it's the two things and it's always the same two things, regardless of whatever I think pretty much you're doing in life. Um, so if you have the time to build the audience, you still have to pay the developer as well at some point when you get to that point. But if you have all the money up front, then you can kind of mitigate maybe waiting that year, two years, five years, however long it takes for you to build that audience. Because let's face it, for me, for example, with Feature Flux, you know, so I'd, I'd come back from the dead, so to speak, and restarted my uh, started from zero again on, on social media. I wasn't willing to wait a year, two years, or however long it took, and also the time it takes to put into creating an audience, you know, to creating content, social media, engaging, all that good, horrible stuff. So the time is the time is always a factor, regardless, and the money is always a factor, regardless, especially if you're a non-technical founder. But I think if you do have the money up front, then you can just kind of sidestep. I think that audience doesn't mean to say that the audience is not always going to be a big help, which obviously I think it is, you know, anybody who can help you get the word out about a new product or even look at your product or give you feedback on your product or tell you, Nathan, you shouldn't be doing this because it doesn't fit. If I think of the, the larger, shall we say, indie products that have got some kind of funding going on, they definitely mitigate that issue, you know, by saying, well, okay, we now have the money to educate people on what our app is going to do on how it's going to help them and how it's going to solve their problem, as opposed to having to take, you know, that audience first thing so i think it really just depends on how rich you are <laughs> in time yeah. and how rich you are in finances and and also as well i think the it really depends because for you and for myself as well back in the day it was perhaps maybe a different goal because building an audience was almost a, a byproduct of what we were doing anyway by creating content and by sort of being around on social platforms Whereas now it's whatever you're doing on social, it's, it's explicit. It's like, it's, you know, it's done for a reason. You know, if you're publishing this post it's done because you want to, you know, bring people into this or to, to learn about that, about you and about you, eventually your product. So I think even now building an audience, I think would be different maybe. And again, the same as you, I'm basing this on nothing really other than personal feeling like building a, an audience now would be, 
I don't know if more or less difficult, but certainly different to how it was. Yeah. Um, you'd I have think, to be far more intentional maybe uh, yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, I think I would, I would, if I was to build an audience again, I would probably do the same way I did before, which is public speaking, going on podcasts and guest posting. They're like the three things I'd probably do, but like link them to something educational where you're just providing more educational content for free. And I think that would still work now. I mean, I don't, I can't say for sure because I haven't, I'm not starting from scratch right now, but that's probably what I would do. Getting those podcast things and speaking engagements would will be the biggest roadblock at that point, but it's not something that you can't overcome. But back to the point about money versus time, I think my issue with the money part is that, okay, if you have like an unlimited, like crazy amount of money, yeah. And if you have investment, yeah, in theory, I think that would work. But the problem is, is what I've seen is in practice. So I've seen people who have raised investment money and they get really excited because they've got like all this money and they can do all this stuff that like the big companies are doing that you think, if I could do this, this and this, I'll be able to build a business. And um, they end up like, I would, don't want to say wasting a lot of money, but also, yeah, wasting a lot of money. Um, especially at the start when they feel like they've got ages, like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've got years. I can, I can do this in years. And then it kind of, the runway starts to end and um, then they start to panic. So that's the problem with money is that it, for the most part, unless you have quite a lot of m recurring money coming in that's disposable, it is going to run out. And I think that's quite scary. Whereas when you're building an audience first, your audience isn't just going to stop in two years. Like the audience that you build over two years is going to still be there and still be growing. Like you can't really get that taken away from you, whereas you can get money taken away from you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think as a non-technical person, it's, I would choose if I was to do it again, to do the audience building route first, despite it being slower. Um, but that's also another factor is I don't have a lot of experience building successful companies. You know, I'm not, I don't consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Client portal does really well, but I think a lot of it, I got quite lucky with it. I don't know for sure whether I could just, if someone gave me like a bunch of money, I'm not confident that I could just build another company. Mm. You know, I think there are some people who do it over and over and over again, and they're really confident that they know what to do yeah. and they know how to like, spot where things are going wrong and they know how to steer the ship because they've got that experience and if that was me I would say oh yeah just give me like a bit of money and I'll be able to build a business I I wish I was like that but I'm not and I don't have that experience at this yeah, point Rob Walling said in one of the recent uh startups so the rest of us uh episodes that <laughs> he only takes advice from people who have done something multiple times like like you say anyone can you know in theory, start up a successful business and do very well, but can they do it again? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I only have to look at myself for that. So I did it before with Nusi, great. Trying to do it again now in Future Flux, uh, not so much. So yeah, I think there is definitely that. Um, I mean, I think one of the things as well is, and especially being non-technical, the, the, one of the big questions, not so much a tip, but one of the big questions we have to wrestle with as non-technical uh, founders is, do we look for a co-founder? And it's such a big um decision to have to make and a big question to have to wrestle with and i kind of and i know obviously you are very happy being a a solo founder 
the idea for me as well is I love the idea of being a solo founder after having a co-founder before. But I think it's, again, it comes down to that time and money thing as well. And, and can you help reduce both of those perhaps by having a co-founder? Because if you, if you have a smaller audience and perhaps the co-founder comes on board, has a smaller audience, well, you've already doubled your audience just, just, you know, in that fact, and reduce your costs as well. But then, of course, there are plenty of other things that come around taking on board a co-founder. But I think it's it's definitely something that non-technical co-founders need to look at seriously, I think, because it's just really easy just to say, no, I don't want one. Yeah. But there, there are obvious benefits to it as well. Yeah. Would you bring on another co-founder if you were to do Future Flux again? Would you? It would have to be... It's very, very difficult. You know, everything around taking on a co-founder is difficult just from the vesting, you know, the the work, you know, because essentially a lot, I, th I think a lot of developers look at non-technical founders, you know, developer, marketer, whatever it has. Yeah, you do all the work up front, but then after that, it's all me. It's all the developer, you know. So making sure that everyone is happy within what's, what's done and what continues to get done afterwards kind of thing is really tricky. There is, I think, that moral support thing uh, that, that I think is quite nice. And perhaps I missed a certain degree of that uh, this time around. You know, obviously I was asking you a lot of the time, you know, about what you thought about certain things. And I was hitting up other people as well. And I probably would have done that a lot less if I'd had a co-founder, you know, so that there is that that aspect of uh, uh, insecurity or um, that I think is, is nicer with a co-founder. But I don't know, I'd sooner get married probably than find another co-founder, you know, at least get <laughs> getting divorced is probably easier than, than, you know, getting rid of your co-founder. So, yeah, um, I'm it would be tempting. to agree. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, the problem with just a co-founder off the cuff is that especially if it's your idea, it's always going to feel like your company. Mm. And, you know, you brought on a co-founder because you needed one, but eventually you wouldn't necessarily need a co-founder and there might be resentment because you'll still feel like it's yours. And um, also you don't get the opportunity to just test out working with them to see if they're a good fit. Like, you know, I um, work with my developers, like I said, since 2016, I would have no hesitations on bringing her in as a co-founder because I know we work really well together, but we've had like however many I can't work out the years experience working together mm. that I think it would be fine. But I, I would, the likelihood of you just picking a co-founder and it working out, I feel like is quite small. Um, I've seen so many co-founder relationships go sour just because they can't agree on where the direction of the company should go or um, just little things like just building resentment again from the person who's still and it's not even it's not even a correct feeling to have yeah you came up with the idea it doesn't mean it's your company if you have a 50 50 co-founder it's equally your company but I think that is difficult the thing to get your head around and to not build that resentment mm -hmm. there so I, yeah I think you know if we're going to talk about top tips I think with regards to founders and, and all that kind of stuff uh, one of my top tips now having done been through what I've been through with feature flux is feature flux or could be feature fox so the way it's gone um, <laughs> is to just get as much of it done as you can without before you even get to a developer and by that I mean you know even just the prototype even just the interactive prototype getting that as as validated as you can um, because um you know we said in several episodes ago 
the ways in which I think I failed with, with regards to this was if I had, uh, if I hadn't been so sure, you know, through my customer interviews that this was a great idea and people were going to pay for it. If I hadn't been so sure and I'd done more testing with interactive prototypes, I would have saved myself a lot of pain and a lot of money. So I think as a non-technical co-founder, get as much, as much, as much done as you can before you even think about approaching a, a co-founder or be a, um, hiring a developer because yeah, you could just save yourself so much time and, and money and, and hassle and stress. And I would yeah. have learned earlier that in actual fact, it was a very difficult product to sell. So yeah, yeah, I think that's good advice. And if I think about the way client portal started, that's exactly what I did. So I had a, I designed a website for myself and then uh, developers coded it. And then I kind of hacked it bits of the website together just in like I had very basic knowledge of HTML like really really basic and I managed to like hack together the header and then a few of these like blocks and it seemed to work out okay for client portal and that's where the design for client portal came from and that's when I did the pre-sales that's what I gave them I was like you know I'm gonna give you a zip file of the HTML and CSS like you'll get something I don't expect many of you to use it some people did yeah I remember Um, that I, I, I had that I got that yeah, the, yeah. The original HTML, yeah, yeah. The original, <laughs> yeah. And I just did like a PDF of like how to update it. Um, but with the saying that, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm going to be investing the money that I make from it into making it into a WordPress plugin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a WordPress plugin because I asked everyone, I just said, what do you want this built on? And everyone, pretty much everyone said WordPress. So that's how it became a WordPress plugin. So inadvertently that was the route I ended up taking trying to do as much as I could myself I think as well like if you're a non-technical founder and you don't want to do the co-founder route I think having a simple product is key like really really simple so client portal could have been this full featured project management tool with like loads of stuff going on but the first version of client portal it was a one-page design where the boxes could yeah, the boxes could link to a URL. You couldn't even upload files. You couldn't do anything. It was just a HTML template where you could link to a URL. I mean, how basic is that? But guess what? People really liked it. They liked the concept. They liked the idea. And slowly we've been able to make it into something more. But I, the comment that I get about Client Portal is people love it for its simplicity. I do mm-hmm. lose customers because they're expecting something more complicated, but one of the big things that I get from people is that they don't want it to get more complicated. They are looking for something simple. And I think a lot of people are like a lot of people are looking for one tool that does one thing really well, rather than all these kitchen sink tools that try Mm. to do so many different things that you kind of get kind of sucked into them and you can't like you have to switch everything over to them, which is takes so much time and it's risky as well because if you have everything in one software, well, if they change the pricing or if they get acquired or something, it could really affect your business. So I prefer to use one yeah, tool yeah. that does one thing really well. I love Google Docs. I use Google Docs for everything. I'm It's pretty reliable. And one of the reasons I made Client Portal was because I wanted a I wanted to be able to still use Google Docs and still use, I think at the time, InVision, which I really loved and, you know, whatever else I used. Um, But I wanted one branded interface to link to all these different softwares that I used. And that's like the selling point of Client Portal. 
Um, and I think as a non-technical founder, the fact that Client Portal was so painfully simple and stripped back was a good thing. And I would recommend anyone non-technical to do the same. Like, unless you're going to hire a technical co-founder, it's maybe not a good idea to be thinking about this really full-featured thing that you could do mm. unless you're a millionaire you've got loads of money behind you <laughs> <laughs> i think that can actually be scary as well though for a lot of us uh and it happened as me it happened as well with feature flux in that you know you become convinced that it needs this feature as well to be able to to be valuable enough you know in this v1 essentially whereas like you said if if you can strip it down to the original point source of value should we say and then even then, like people are telling you, yeah, this is great. I you pay for it. But then you can say, okay, well then in the future, you know, we can add these, you know, as you have done with Client Portal, we can add these new, new systems. We can make it a plugin as opposed, opposed to an HTML uh, website and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's very, it can be very hard to even get there because you think, no, 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 it needs more. It needs more. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to be ruth, you have to be ruthless with that. Yeah. So instead of saying it needs more, it needs more, say it needs less, it needs less. How can I strip it back even more, even more? This one initial function needs to be valuable enough yeah. for, you know, for people to, 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 to want it. And that makes it easier to sell as well, because you can describe what it does so quickly and people get the point so quickly. When you have this software that is like, people have so much software that they use and, you know, they don't want like a big sales pitch of like, unless they're specifically looking for a solution like yours, they don't want like a big sales pitch of like, hey, use my software. This is all the things you can do because all you're hearing is, oh, another thousand items on my to-do list if I go for this software. Yeah. Whereas if you have one very basic thing, you can explain it to them. And if they go, yeah, I have that problem, sold, like really super quick, super easy. And you can just expand from there when you figure out that you've hit on you know, a pain point of people's. Yeah, a quest question that can turn into a top tip. We've spoken about this several times, actually, and it, I experienced it through trying to sell feature flux. Uh, people are sick of new software. They use far too many products in the work environment, in the home environment. So for non-technical founders, perhaps thinking about their first product, a standalone product or something that ties into something else. You know, something that can be an add-on or not necessarily an add-on, but something that doesn't create more work. So, for example, if I had done Feature Flux slightly different, then maybe it would have just been a plug-in to uh, Figma as opposed to a standalone app uh, to create presentations. I don't know. What, what do you think about the, an, an initial sort of product for non-techs with the way things are going? So I have two thoughts on this. The, the answer is really I don't know. But I of do course. have a couple but, of but thoughts. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. So um, initially, I would say no. That's a terrible idea because, guess what? What's going to happen if, say, Figma? I'm thinking you were going to do a tool that integrated with Figma, and then Figma changed something, and you have absolutely zero control over what Figma does. You know, well, I've Twitter heard of... is a great example of that, right? With the APIs and everything. Exactly. Um... Yeah. So it's like risky and it's kind of scary. But then my other thinking on this is actually maybe don't worry about that right now if you've got a really good idea and it integrates with a different product go for it because you will learn so much in the process you can probably make quite a lot of money from it fairly quickly because you've got like a really clear audience of people who you want to target um yes okay it might not be around forever but guess what? No business might be around forever, right? Like any business can yeah. fail for any number of reasons. So I've actually changed my thinking on that 
quite recently and actually a lot of it from going to WordCamp because I see how many really successful plugin businesses are reliant on larger plugins like maybe Elementor or Gravity Forms mm. and they have their whole business is you know add-ons for those companies and um you know yeah there are going to be downsides of course like you know you like gravity forms might change elemental might change it might not work out but i think what you would learn from doing that and if you're solving a real pain point a real problem yeah you could do really well for it and i would say don't let that hold you back yeah i think the learning possibilities uh would be huge and like you said if it is successful enough anyway and at least you would have a marketing in as well because you can say you know direct integration for whatever uh whether that's some microsoft product or and then if you need yeah. to pivot you you have an audience because you've got some customers like yeah, yeah yeah completely yeah there's really it, you know in a way there's almost no downsides because yeah like unless, a, but unless the most you've of... literally unless you've literally just built something for twitter like a couple of months ago in which <laughs> yeah. case you might be a bit upset <laughs> yeah that's true but that could happen but, with for any re- number of reasons as well so well, no, completely. And the same with Feature Flux. You know, it was built on the using the uh, Figma API anyway. So, you know, Adobe bought a, uh, Adobe bought Figma, and I immediately thought they've only got to make one change, and that yeah. screws everything anyway. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think that, in a nutshell, I think that's <laughs> really summed up my what I would really recommend. And again, this is just advice. Like, it's not the only thing to do. It's what I would do as a non-tech founder if I was starting again. Keep the product really simple, stripped back. Maybe don't hire a co-founder unless you want to, especially not straight away. And I'll date for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Work with them first for a really long time. And yeah, just build an audience first. Definitely go down the audience first route because money can and does run out and as you start to, as it starts to run out, you start to panic and you, people don't make good decisions when they're in that mm-hmm. panic mode, but an audience will not run out after yeah, yeah. an audience doesn't expire. I definitely echo the the small product, the smaller, the better, the, old, the good old stair step uh, approach. Thank you, Rob Warden. Yeah. And then as well, I definitely, you know, test the hell out of any assumptions you have. Don't, when you start, when you do start making assumptions, that's when things start going wrong. So just do as much as you can before you even need to think about hiring anyone, even even as a contractor. I think having the audience will help. And again, I think like we were literally just saying now, maybe a very small product that is already associated associated to a larger piece of software could be a nice in. You know, marketplaces don't build yourself a marketplace, but joining a marketplace, you know, as a WordPress plugin, for example, or Shopify plugin or anything like those, it's, it's relatively in air quotes, simple, simple work. And at least you already have an existing audience if you don't have one like myself. So I think, yeah, simple, get done what you can without involving others first. And, uh, if you can work with existing software, then I think even better because creating standalone software now, nobody wants to change their systems. Yeah understandably as well yeah yeah yeah. i don't want to either i don't want to yeah okay i think that's good advice yeah so as we said at the start we have like a little bit of news um basically we are going to pause this podcast just for a, a bit you know we were talking about it and nathan as you've you're going more into the services route at the moment yeah um so yeah you were kind of saying that 
Yeah, it feels, it feels we're, we're talking about sort of uh, founders uh, and, you know, and while I have been a founder in the past and while I was the last year trying to build Feature Flux, basically, you know, I've had to take a step back from that. And so I'm concentrating fully now on, on freelance design, product design. So it, it, it feels a bit strange and also the time as well. You know, I need to try and get as much time going to client work so that I can hopefully come back in the future and, and jump back into products again maybe i'll take some of our advice from today's show <laughs> yeah definitely and i think you know for me i could potentially keep the podcast going um while you're building that back up and you know becoming a founder again um but i i quite like having a co-host for a podcast you know if i if i was on my own first off i don't know if i would be able to fill an episode and i think i would need to start getting into the interviews route which is mm. fine. It's just that would take um, up a bunch of time, which I do. work. Yeah, I don't really have it at the moment. So I'm quite happy to just pause it for a bit, get back, you know, get some work done. You've got done lots and... going on with Client Portal as well, haven't you? So... Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but I, I, love, I, I love doing the podcast and I really want, I really don't want it to end completely because I think... I want to see more non-tech founders out there. Like I really, really, really want to see more non-tech founders out there because I want to meet them. I want to talk to them. Like it's, you know, I, you are literally the only other one I know and now you're going <laughs> into services. So, um, yeah. yeah, I hope it's so far been inspiring and not too depressing because it is hard. It is, there it is an additional roadblock to being a non-tech founder, but hopefully we've encouraged some people to give it a go. It's not impossible. Um, and yeah, I'd love, just love to see more people doing it. So. Yeah. I mean, definitely we haven't, uh, the audience has remained pretty, pretty loyal throughout pretty small and pretty loyal, but I think that also shows that the non-tech <laughs> audience or the non-tech world, uh, when it comes to founders is actually we are definitely the minority, you know, so it would be awesome to see more of us out there. And maybe as we've spoken about in the past as well, maybe that whole uh, no code, low code thing is going to help in the future as well. And AI, of course, if AI gets to the point where, you know, it's building apps anyway, then what the hell, well, they won't even need us. So yeah, yeah. So but it would be great to see that grow. Definitely. And, I, you know, we're keeping, we're keeping the email open, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything so will stay open. Everything will stay open. So definitely email us. You know, I know a few of you have already um, just to, you know, give us support and all that kind of stuff. But if you have any questions or just want to tell us about what you're doing, if you are thinking of becoming a non-tech founder, you have a product in the works, feel free to email us. We'll still, um, we'll still be keeping tabs of it. And hopefully we will start it back up again. Um, That'd be nice, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be nice to be able to come back and say, ha ha, I told you so. <laughs> yeah exactly well in you some, definitely in some, in some in some way way shape or form yeah yeah i have no doubt that you will be a, a non-tech founder pretty soon you just need oh, to again. have some time to focus on getting you yeah. know you've had a lot of changes going on and well, yeah been a crazy year it's been a crazy year so yeah you'll get back on back on the wagon all well, right so i won't do my normal then. outro but we'll just say <laughs> yeah keep in touch and we will hopefully uh talk to you all at some point again we'll, yeah exactly still find us on twitter still find us around yeah. come and uh what's the word what's the word when you hassle people on twitter troll um troll come and troll us, come and troll us on twitter <laughs> go for it <laughs> we can take it all, all right. right cheers laura cheers take care. bye bye, -bye.